Hey, I'm Kim Forrester and welcome to Eudaimonia, the podcast that is all about flourishing. More than just the mundane or pleasure and pain, Eudaimonia calls for us to create a good life. It's about fulfillment, inspiration, joy. So plug in, relax and get ready for the goodness as we explore the characteristics and daily practices that can help you, your loved ones and your community flourish. Research shows that we are literally happier people when we pursue meaningful activities that involve helping and connecting with others. Her Excellency Joe Tyndall is the New Zealand High Commissioner to Singapore. Joe has a long and varied career in public service, including nearly nine years as New Zealand's climate change ambassador, where she led the New Zealand International Negotiations Team for the Paris Agreement and then co-chaired negotiations on the so-called rule book, which underpins the agreement. It's my absolute honour to be connecting with Joe today to discuss how our lives are enhanced when we are of service and when we choose to use our skills, talents and knowledge to lift and inspire others. Joe Tindall, it's just such an honour to be here with you today at the New Zealand High Commission here in Singapore. How are you? I'm very well, and it's lovely to have you here too today, Kim, overlooking beautiful Singapore Harbour. Indeed. I think being of service is an incredible part of a fulfilling life, and yet it's not something that people necessarily stop and think about, and it's certainly not necessarily something stop, people stop and integrate into their lives. So I'm really grateful to you to have the opportunity to discuss that today. Let's get straight into it. You currently work in the diplomatic service for New Zealand and for many years you've been doing diplomatic roles, government roles. If you were driven purely by financial reward, the reality is that the private sector would offer you more opportunities to fulfill that kind of purpose. What is it that draws you to public service? Well, first of all, I just want to say I haven't thought of myself as somebody who has a a life of service, if you see what I mean. But then thinking a little bit further, I suppose, yes, anything to do with the public service, that's kind of implicit. But what has drawn me to the work I've done and the roles I have done has really been a strong belief in my country and the values it espouses. And I've done quite very different things in the, the sort of film, television, broadcasting area from a policy perspective, through trade negotiations, through climate change. And it took me a while to think about what were the threads that pulled all of those disparate things together. And I think it is about wanting to have the opportunity to help shape policy, to make a difference in New Zealand and for New Zealand, to be focused on how we perceive ourselves as a country, as the people, as a community, and how others perceive us. And also in some of the, you know, in the diplomatic work, certainly, thinking of ways and and operating in ways that ensure that as a small country, we can nevertheless have some influence over global affairs. I did see just the other day that New Zealand's soft power, as they call it, is actually quite disproportionate to our population. We actually do have quite a bit of soft power around Yeah, that was a really interesting index that that came out, um, and uh, yeah, it was good to see. 
And obviously, it's the work of the likes of yourself. I know you're humble, but it's the likes of the work of yourself and other public service representatives around the world that have allowed that to occur. Your career, Joe, has been very much about supporting and enhancing the lives of others, perhaps indirectly in many ways, but still supporting and enhancing the lives of others. That includes future generations, certainly with your work with the climate climate change. change, That's right. Do you find yourself being of service to others in your personal life as well? Or is that when you take time to focus more on yourself? I I have to say, certainly for the nearly eight and a half years, nearly nine years, I was working on climate change. My life was uh, in a permanent state of jet lag, Mm. uh, traveling around the world in different time zones, forever at meetings and, and so on. So for me, it was hugely important to spend time with family, mm. uh, with friends, and with my little dog, mm-hmm. <laughs> who uh, I have to say, you know, probably the affection wasn't as, as fully returned as I, <laughs> I would have liked. He's not a super cuddly one, but very, very sweet. But spending that time, I, I think, was what I needed to really balance the enormous amount of time I was otherwise away from the country and away from that connection with family at home. What I would say, though, is I, I'm rapidly approaching thinking about retirement, not for a few years yet, but definitely thinking about it, is that uh, a year or so ago, I visited my aunt who lives in Sydney and has been there for many, many years. And she has spent her retirement doing an enormous amount of volunteer work mm. in a variety of ways that kind of play to her interests and her abilities and so on, whether that's cooking or gardening or, or whatever. And I found that to be quite an inspirational thing. So it started me thinking about, well, what sort of thing might I do at that next phase of life when I do finally decide I should stop working for a, <laughs> for a salary? That raises two questions in my mind. Firstly, do you feel personally that it's important for us to prioritize ourselves when we're being of service to others there are some people in this world who are constantly of service they're constantly on the committees or you know volunteering for certain activities to the point where they become burnt out do you feel that prioritizing self is important in this process as well yeah i think it it is it is so so two things there one i've kind of flagellated myself not forgiven myself for missing my son's 21st birthday Mm -hmm. because I was at a big two-week-long meeting in in Geneva and I never felt I kind of compensated for that. But the other thing, uh, just last night I was watching an episode of Queer Eye on uh, Netflix and it was one of those classic situations where a person, the the subject for the episode, had, had given of herself so much to a point that she no longer cared about herself. Mm. She didn't even have the bed to sleep on because she'd sort of given up rooms in her house to to others. But what that show sort of demonstrates is that it is really important to value yourself as a human being, to put time into yourself as, you know, uh, a person. And that can help, I think, to add more to what you are giving back in whatever way you are giving back to the the community or the world around you. The second question, you mentioned there that looking forward to retirement at some point in the future, you're already looking for ways to continue making a difference. You know, you're already inspired by the idea of continuing to be of service. 
And it reminds me of my husband who was in the New Zealand Army for nine years. And during that time, he had some incredible opportunities to be of service and support other communities. He was a peacekeeper in Cambodia. He went on vaccination trips to the Solomon Islands. He supported scientific research in Antarctica. And when he left the army, I know that he struggled to find that sense of meaning and purpose in his everyday corporate role. For you, in your experience, does it make a difference when in the act of being of service, you're actually pursuing something that is personally meaningful for you as well? Yes, I think it does. It, it absolutely does. I think it would be kind of very unrewarding and soul-destroying to be doing something that isn't meaningful for you. Mm. But at the same time, I think, uh, certainly in my experience, that meaningfulness, if that's even a word, has grown out as I've been doing the job. Mm. So when I came to do the climate change role, it wasn't like... I knew anything about climate change or, or had kind of been active in that area beforehand. I came in as, I guess, a, a seasoned negotiator. Mm -hmm. But it was as a consequence of taking that role that I really found a, you know, an enormous amount of meaning in it. And, and in fact, of course, that meaningfulness has uh, stayed even after I have finished doing the, the role. But it was the same when I was running New Zealand On Air, the public funding broadcasting agency. I built and, and grew a real passion for ensuring that New Zealand identity and culture was, uh, was a strong presence and valued by New Zealand audiences, whether they were watching television or listening to radio or going to mm. movies and theatres. Also valued, um, the work you did was of huge value to the performers in New Zealand as well, and those who are in the creative industries. I think that's really worth noting um, as a creative myself. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, I imagine you've had times in your career where you've faced enormous challenges and obstacles, and I mean enormous challenges and obstacles certainly with the climate change negotiations. How cognizant are you on those really tough days that what you are doing matters to not just yourself but to in our case millions of other people is it an inspiration for you or is it a burden that's a really interesting question i think on the day you can't be cognizant of that i think it, it would be potentially really overwhelming mm. and it's also super important to remember that whoever you are or whatever you're doing in this realm, you're just a tiny, tiny cog in an enormous machine. You can have some small amount of influence, but there are so many other forces, so many other personalities, so many other you know, political, well, there's political leaders, there's everybody yeah. out there. So I think it would potentially be easy to be a little bit overwhelmed. I did have one evening I was uh, invited to a, a dinner that was work-related. And one of the, the guests at the dinner kind of said across the, the table to me that I personally was responsible for, you know, the, the deaths or, you know, poor situation of many thousands of people who were impacted by or being impacted by climate change. And th that brought me up. It was, uh, it was a very confrontational discussion other people round the table came to my rescue and aid, but it was kind of a horrific thought to be thinking, well, 
do people really think that I have that much power over things? Mm-hmm. I could uh, mm-hmm. I could change them myself in a way that could stop these you know awful things happening in people's lives. Mm-hmm. Really interesting insight there because I think we should all stop and reflect on this. It's very easy to point the finger at someone else or to celebrate someone else for whatever happens in the world out there. You know, that person made this wonderful thing happen or this person is to blame for something else happening. And yet, I would say that every human on the planet has the same, well, most people in similar situations have the same amount of power influence as others correct so someone mm. sitting at a table saying well you are responsible for what's happening to the Pacific Islands for instance and I do wonder if they've stopped to reflect on what they're actually doing to be of service to halt the climate crisis for instance and something maybe we should all be aware of instead mm. of just pointing the finger go well how am I stepping up yeah and you know this person was very active mm. and passionate about the climate cause, and I fully understand that. But I also think it's really important to understand how huge mm-hmm. and complex and difficult it is to, to turn what is a, an enormous juggernaut around mm-hmm. and to do that at a political, at a policy, at a you know government, business, community, and individual level. Because mm-hmm. it, it's kind of got to happen at all of those levels. And everything has to to sort of better align. And certainly for uh, a number of years leading up to the, the Paris Agreement, the things weren't aligned. They needed to, to come together and they're still in the process of being aligned at all those different levels. Humanity is a team sport. It's as simple <laughs> as that, isn't it? And it's something so, that yeah. we need to remember. Let's talk about dealing with others. When we're pursuing something that we believe is for the greater good or when we're pursuing something just to be of service to others, I'm sure there are times when we'll have to work with others whose motives are not quite so pure or not so aligned with our own values. In your experience, what's the best way to deal with or negotiate around these types of people? In those international negotiations, I think it's really, really important to separate the personal from the professional. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's obviously the, the case in many, many situations. But you must always remember that other people are doing their job to promote, protect, defend a national position, mm-hmm. which they may or may not subscribe to heavily themselves. But if you can do that, that's one way of you know helping to, to manage it. A second thing I think it's really important is to get to know people. Mm. In international climate negotiations, quite often we saw more of our fellow negotiators than we did of our colleagues and friends and family back home. But equally, we found, I think part of the crucial components for success in, in Paris was that there were opportunities to get to know each other. And understand who we were, not just from the point of view of whatever national position we were taking, but who we were as human beings. So during the the years in the lead up to Paris in 2015, we convened and I pulled together an annual dialogue, so-called dialogue, of some 20 to 25 of the lead negotiators on climate change from around the world. We took them to remote-ish rural places just outside of Auckland, for example, kind of where they couldn't escape, but they were also 
there in the New Zealand landscape. Mm. They were surrounded by, you know, beautiful New Zealand. And uh, we spent a couple of days talking, but also doing sometimes quite creative and, and kind of things that took them out of their comfort zone a little mm. bit, but also meant they got to know each other as people could relate to each other as people. And when we had the conversations about the details of what became the Paris Agreement in an environment where they were relaxed and not sitting behind you know, their country's flag, we made enormous amounts of progress. We found ways through some of the really sticky problems that uh, were plaguing the negotiations in the, the big, big rooms. So that, I think, is a really important thing to find ways of getting to know people that go a little bit beyond, you know, sitting in a formal room across the table. It could also translate into the school PTA or... Just about anywhere, yeah. You grew up in Christchurch. Mm. You spent many years there. And for me, the way that the residents of Christchurch came together after the 2011 earthquake is a great example of the importance of kaitiakatanga, that desire, the calling to take care of one another, how important is it for us to nurture that kind of communal stewardship? You, you know, you've just talked about there about getting to know people. Do you feel that it is important for us if we're going to be of service and help one another as a humanity that we actually nourish a sense of guardianship for each other as well? Yes. <laughs> yes, because uh, I, I think Christchurch did personally affect me, not for myself but for my parents, both of whom were, were still living there separately and who uh, were quite vulnerable and, you know, were definitely affected by the earthquakes there in ways that kind of did leave lasting trauma. It's been hugely important, I think, to, to see how resilient that community has been and how close-knit it has become to try and deal with the impact of the earthquakes there. As far as climate change is concerned, it's going to require an enormous shift in how people think about how they work, how they live, how they relate to each other, and to move much more towards a way of life that, that prioritizes people and the planet mm. rather than simply you know, economic growth as a way of measuring prosperity. Mm. So I do think that mind shift is more about thinking about each other as a community and kind of working together as a community and aligning where it is we, we think we want to go over the long term. Mm. And thinking more about the planet as something over which we have guardianship rather than simply we're exploiting all its resources in any way we can. One of the other things I've become involved with here in, in Singapore is a bit of a movement called Leadership with Kindness. Mm. And I do think that the events we've had in New Zealand have really demonstrated the importance and value of that as a concept mm. of leadership that uh, is defined by respect for others, by compassion, by caring, by sort of helping others to thrive and, and uh, do well in a bunch of different ways. Coming back to being of service mm. to others rather than trying to figure out what we as individuals can get out of a situation. You know, leadership has been perceived, I think, across the world for a few centuries as rising to the top and being the one in power. 
whereas perhaps leadership could be more about well, if you think about it, I, I think for everyone who is in a leadership role, there's another leader <laughs> and another yeah. leader and yeah. another leader. So we are all leaders in different ways, mm. whatever we are doing and wherever we are. And I, I think that's uh, that's an important thing to recognize and for us all to be thinking about, well, how do we kind of model ourselves each day? How do we behave? Some of my listeners, I certainly hope, are thinking at this point, you know, there's something I'd love to become involved with there is something greater than myself that I would love to inject my energy into I'd love to be of service to others how would you advise that these listeners go about finding something meaningful that suits their lifestyle and their skills well I'm I'm probably the last person to give any advice on that because uh, the way I've sort of approached my well certainly my career has been pretty much one of serendipity Mm. rather than sort of very carefully mapped out and and planned in advance. What I would always say is it's really important to seize opportunities that are there. If there is something, and if you can't seize an opportunity or or find an open door to go through, then try to create one. Mm. But it's also really important to understand what it is that you have I guess what it is that that presses your buttons or Mm -hmm. or gets you excited or motivates you to get up and and out. So when you're talking about things that suit your lifestyle or skills, it's having that self-awareness and understanding what those things might be because I think then you can start sort of understanding better which areas you might want to knock on doors Mm -hmm. to see if you can get those doors to open for you. Joe, there are many people out there that are being serviced in incredibly visible ways, being of service to the community, to humanity as a whole. How important is it that we as individuals do our part to support these leaders, these governmental or activist leaders, and how do we best do that? I talked a little earlier about the idea of alignment mm. and you know, how necessary it is in, in climate change if we are to tackle what is this sort of big and increasingly urgent global challenge, if we are to do that, then we've all got to be sort of pulling in the same direction, as it were. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're if we're in the co- same canoe together, the same waka together, we've got to be sort of pulling on the oars in the, in the same direction. So there are things that whatever you're doing in your personal life or in your professional life or in your leisure time, whatever, can uh, sort of align with Mm. those long-term overall objectives. And they can be quite small when you're you're thinking about, as an individual, how you live your life. You know, what's your consumption of of plastics or Mm. that sort of thing? How do you transport yourself to work or, or anywhere else? Can you do things in in slightly different ways? Which is not about going back to the dark ages and and sort of making your own candles out of beeswax beeswax or whatever it might be. But it is thinking about how you as an individual might be able to to contribute in some small way. Again, I don't make my own candles and uh, I haven't become a vegan. But I am mindful of how I'm getting about what I'm doing and sort of work in that way. I think as a public servant, there is a, another responsibility. And of course, as a public servant, it's my job to serve the government of the day. Mm. So that means I have to 
know and understand what the policy agenda, what the objectives of that government of the, the day might be. I have to be able to give free and frank advice to uh, those I am accountable to, but also understand and then understand that I am not the decision maker, mm. that uh, ultimately it is for the government as a whole and or for the minister to make the, the policy decisions on the basis of the advice that he or she has received mm-hmm. from a public servant. That truly is being of service when you look at it because you the, the government of, say, New Zealand works for the people of New Zealand. They have been duly elected into mm-hmm. those positions and so you are their representative over here in Singapore at the moment and so when you go about your business, you're actually literally working for the people of New Zealand if we draw it back there. Is that how you see it? Oh, uh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. As a diplomat, the job is to promote and look after to protect New Zealand's national interests. Final question, Joe. It's one I ask every guest on the Eudaimonia podcast. Can you recommend a morning reminder? This could be a simple daily ritual or a practice that perhaps you undertake that can help my listeners recognise the opportunities they have in their daily lives to be of service. Again, I don't know if I've got a um, a ready answer for you because I don't know if I've got a daily ritual. But I think a couple of things to to think about might be one thing I I kind of live by, and I hope it's not too naive, is remembering that by and large, people around you are doing things with the best of intentions. Mm. So you may not agree with the position they've taken, but usually... Uh, their intentions are good. So I think that's an important thing to remember. And then the other thing I would say is that it's really important to give others the opportunities to shine, Mm. to do things they didn't think they were capable of because once they've done them and found they are capable of doing them, then it really gives them the, uh, the confidence they can succeed and they will go on to do great things. Those are two wonderful ways that we can lift and enhance the lives of others and give them the confidence to perhaps step up and be of service to others themselves. Jo Tyndall, it's been such an honour to be with you on this lovely, bright Singapore afternoon. Thank you so much for being part of the Udomoto podcast. A pleasure. Thank you, Kim. According to Mahatma Gandhi, the best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in the service of others. You've been listening to the Eudaimonia podcast. If you'd like to learn more about how to live a truly flourishing life, please subscribe and check out eudaimoniapod.com for more inspiring episodes. I'm Kim Forrester. Until next time, be well, be kind to yourself and enhance your happiness by being of service to others. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.